Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Hello, lovely listeners. It's Clarissa here again, and I have got a wonderful guest for you today. And we're going to be talking deep down about hormones, which we don't do as much as you might think on Thriving Through Menopause. And she is Esther Bloom. She's a functional nutritionist based in the States. She's an author. And I'm really looking forward to hearing her view on hormones, hormone therapy, getting your weight back on track and more. Welcome, Esther. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Clarissa. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, it's really interesting to be having this conversation because I actually got some feedback that the North American uh, Menopause Society have updated their guidelines. So it feels incredibly pertinent to be having a deep conversation about hormones. Yes. And thank God they did. And it was actually, it's interesting. It was back in 2018, but you'll still go to, you know, gynecological practices here and the pamphlets haven't been updated. My own gynecologist doesn't, you know, present bioidentical hormones at all. She just offers birth control pills or IUDs. So it's, it's fascinating for me, but, but frustrating as well for the majority of people who just don't know what to ask. They don't know what options are available. So that is why I wrote my next book. See you later, ovulator, because we're going to unpack menopause and master it with nutrition and hormones and self-advocacy and really teach women how to unlock the process. Exactly. And you're talking my language too, that it's women who are going to unlock the process, you know, with the help of people like ourselves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But let's begin at the beginning. I mean, women obviously are very confused about hormones. I mean, let, let's, let's maybe start there. And yes. so... There's a lot of controversy back and forth about things like should have a test, you shouldn't have a test. Your view on that, Esther, when do women need tests and do they need tests? And if so, what kind of tests? Well, testing yields a lot of specificity. So I like to test and not guess. I'm not a fan of throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing if it will stick. A lot of doctors do not like this. I've actually asked my colleagues who are conventional doctors and they say, well, Doctors don't like to test outside the realm of what's traditionally done because then if something is found that's wrong, they don't want to be responsible for it. So that's at least how the positioning in the U.S. and, and what is taught in medical school curriculum uh, unless you are a functional medicine practitioner. So I run a few tests in practice. Um, I run, I will look at blood tests more for an inflammatory picture to rule out, uh, you know, issues with insulin management or cardiac risk factors, because those dramatically increase 
uh, when a woman's estrogen drops, especially, but also progesterone and testosterone. Um, and I also do a complete thyroid panel. Most people don't realize a full thyroid panel has about seven tests versus here in America, we do like TSH. And that to me is a, that's thyroid stimulating hormone. It's a very poor excuse mm. for a thyroid panel. The other two tests I do, I do a Dutch test and I do a GI map. So the Dutch test is a urine test. It stands for dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. And that looks at um, your uh, production and your detoxification of hormones. So it looks at your metabolites and says, what's happening downstream? Is your, is your liver removing them? Are they getting processed the right way? Or are they kind of not really, they're kind of stagnant, which I see in a lot of constipated women or women become estrogen dominant. Um, and yes, even in menopause ladies, you can be relatively estrogen dominant if your estrogen isn't getting cleared out through your liver properly. It's fascinating to me. But the Dutch also looks at, you know, I look at your morning and your metabolized cortisol, and that tells me what your stress is like, if your adrenals kind of have any oomph, because when we go through menopause, the production of your hormones shifts from your ovaries to your adrenals. And and the production is way less than it used to be. So if your adrenals are cooked and you're not sleeping well, you know, supporting your adrenals and normalizing cortisol helps as well. Yeah. Are you going to say I, something? No, but I really like that. I mean, that yeah. is, as you say, quite different from the conventional yeah. who then say, well, your hormones are fluctuating so much, it's not worth it. But what I'm hearing from you, Esther, and what I know of the Dutch test and other tests is, yeah. of course... It isn't just estrogen, progesterone, and right. possibly testosterone. It's the interplay, if I'm correct, between all these hormones. That's right. That's so beautifully said. Yes, and it, it is the interplay because um, you, you want to look at the ratios of production relative to each other. Um, and the Dutch, by the way, can be done in Europe. I, I don't see people overseas across the pond, but Europe, I absolutely you know refer people to uh, if you go do a Google search, for those of you listening and thinking, how am I going to get this test? Do a Google search, pop your zip code in, and see what comes up. But yeah. um, the other test that I do is the GI map, which you can also get overseas in some countries. And that is a stool test. And you may think, well, what does stool tests have to do with menopause? The healthier your gut is in menopause, the easier it will, the process will be and the less symptomatic it will be because what you don't realize, what most of us don't realize is that estrogen can be reabsorbed in the gut wall. And um, you don't want that to happen again. That uh, enables you to stay more inflamed, have symptoms of estrogen dominance like irritability, breast tenderness, um, cramps, you know, those really um, heavy, heavy periods where you get these massive surges and you leak, you know, those are really the, the things that you want to avoid and you want to offset as possible. So I really heal up the gut and uh, look for hormone deficiencies or imbalances and then, of course, correct with diet, lifestyle, supplements, and or hormones if need be. Yeah, which to me sounds so practical to do, Esther. I mean, you're starting really with a baseline, aren't you? You know where the person is when they come to you, and then you can work it out. Because I think we're beginning to understand how important the gut is, but yeah. it's, it, you know, it's taken a long time to realize the importance of the gut in this space. 
Oh, and it's ever evolving. I mean, we're only at the tippy tippy top of the iceberg. We really are. There is just, it's going to be really interesting what happens, you know, when people really study the human genome and understand how estrogen, estrogen has its own subset of bacteria called the estrobolome that metabolize estrogen and process it. So I do believe, you know, uh, there's going to be 1.2 billion women in menopause by 2030. So hopefully somebody can get their act together and do some <laughs> solid research on women because most yeah. research subjects are men or mice. Yeah which isn't exactly bioidentical with female physiology. <laughs> no, definitely not. We're not we're not small men in any shape or form. No. And I and I think you're right. I mean, now we're beginning to see out of the Zoe project in the UK a much mm. greater emphasis on the microbiome which I think is extremely interesting as you said the astrobiome is like a part of the microbiome is it not? It is. It is. Yeah. And I love, I mean, for those of you in the UK, Dr. Louise Newsom, I mean, yeah. boy, what a pioneer, what an incredible uh, doctor who's doing wonders for women and their treatment in menopause. Yeah. And, and she's been very instrumental in f funding and supporting things like mm -hmm. the Zoe Project, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. are, are really taking uh, the whole menopause thing beyond just here's hormone therapy go away, really to a much more holistic approach. That's but, right. But to, yeah. But talking about hormone therapy, I mean, very confusing. Uh, give maybe my listeners a little overview on yes. the different types and, and really what women should be thinking about and talking to their physician or functional medicine practitioner about. Yeah, well... You know, at least in the U.S., well, so you can get either synthetic hormones, or which are derived in a lab, or you can get plant-based hormones in a compounding pharmacy. Uh, I do tend to recommend plant-based hormones from a compounding pharmacy because the the advantages are so are this. Number one, you can really customize the dose, okay? So, I mean, down to like the nano milliliter, you know, you, you can really customize them to a woman's body. And in the first, you know, three to up to six months, you may need to really tweak your dosages until you find just the right cocktail for you. It's like Goldilocks, just right. And so, and, you know, I do have, um, number two is that they are, Often with the delivery systems that I use, either a dissolvable tablet in the mouth, which is a progesterone trochee, or estrogen patches or transdermal uh, testosterone cream, you know, because they're absorbed through the skin or the oral mucosa, they don't have to go through the liver and the gut. And, you know, about 30% of women in menopause develop non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So, if you're kind of adding on hormones on top of that, that women can be taking for, you know, hopefully the rest of their lives, um, you want to make sure that it's just easy to absorb, easy to process and easy to eliminate. Yeah. And I, and I like what you said, because I, I see a lot of women who obviously are prescribed um, through their clinicians, uh, the gels, and they're mm -hmm. really struggling to get the dose right. Uh, and mm. it seems to be that sometimes those things are like a two two pumps and rub it on, 
But if I've understood you right, Esther, yours is even more tailored by going down this this route. It can be. I mean, the topical creams are typically one click and a specific dose is administered. Yes. Um, if somebody wants to use a biased cream, then yes, it's a syringe and you can just measure out every little line on that vial. Or with a trochee, you know, you can break them in half, you can break them in quarters. So mm -hmm. there are advantages. And, you know, I also want to mention that there's also vaginal um, administration of estrogen, progesterone, DHEA. Um, you can also use oxytocin. There's vaginal oxytocin for women who are struggling with orgasms. So there's so many amazing ways to deliver it. And giving it vaginally can have a couple of benefits too. Number one, well, there's two types of vaginal administration. Number one is super, super, it's a microdose of estradiol because that will um, help retain or maintain the structural integrity of the vaginal walls and help with hydration and vaginal dryness and prevent atrophy. But you can also give hormone replacement vaginally and especially with progesterone, you know, that's so protective of the uterus and the uterine tissue too. So, you know, there's many, the, the disadvantages, yeah, it's messier to have a cream, but, um, you know, the upside is the administration, again, it goes, it's absorbed right into the bloodstream. You don't have to process it through your gut and liver. No, exactly. And vaginal for people who may be in Sweden is that's a very common form of administration here. Mm -hmm. um, we also, I, I mean, I take the microdose because I can buy it over the mm -hmm. counter. It's been a lifesaver <laughs> for someone who's in their 60s and can't, due to regulations in the country I live in, have hormone replacement therapy. And then in addition, obviously, there's, like you said, DHEA coming through, which mm -hmm obviously then the body can use as either testosterone or estrogen mm -hmm. as it needs. Yeah. So, yeah, mm -hmm. vaginal is not talked about as much, but it is quite common in, in Europe. Yeah, and it's, it's beautiful. I mean, there's, listen, whatever works for you and makes you feel good, hey, let's go for it, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> let's just get you the support you need, you know, whatever form you can get it. Yes. Absolutely. And, and in terms of you prescribing it, I mean, or working with someone to prescribe it, I mean, what do you see as the key benefits of hormone therapy? Oh, my goodness. Well, first of all, cognitive benefits. I mean, women are criminally underserved not receiving estrogen postmenopause because it there is published research that shows it offsets Alzheimer's disease. And if you think about Alzheimer's, you know, these chronic diseases or diseases of aging don't just show up overnight. They take 20 years to develop and show symptoms. So, you know, what happens 20 years before our 70s is usually menopause. <laughs> so um, estrogen is wonderful for neuroplasticity and cognitive function. Um, certainly estrogen and progesterone are protective against heart disease. Women typically, you know, with our pear shape, more, some of us are apples, but for those of yeah. us who are pairs, we have much more protection against cardiovascular disease until menopause when our waistline, you know, the uh, hourglass turns more into a Coke can or an apple. <laughs> so, you know, at that point, your risk of heart disease increases because your body fat is closer to your heart. And so what, what happens is when, again, when you replenish hormones and of course, diet and do strength training, get lots of protein and all you know, you can resensitize your cells to insulin, D 
decrease your risk of heart disease. And then bone density, um, you know, the research I have looked at, and believe me, I have about seven pages of research studies, single spaced in my book uh, of all the research I look through and calcium and vitamin D and magnesium and boron, you know, those are all beneficial for building bone density, but you're going to get far greater benefits with the addition of estrogen in there against osteoporosis and yeah. bone loss. So, so in some ways, what I hear is it's as much about fixing the symptoms as it is about setting us up for healthy aging. That's right. And yes, and, and to your point, though, you know, when it comes to fixing the symptoms, right, I mean, hot hormones can help hot flashes, they can help um, depression and irritability, like a lot of mental health issues arise once progesterone and estrogen start falling, severe anxiety, depression. Um, I call it mental rage. You know, that's also a very real thing. Um, and also, again, the vaginal dryness, um, breast tenderness, achy, sore, achy joints, you know, progesterone mm -hmm. is a natural steroid. So a natural anti-inflammatory steroid. So when you give progesterone, oh my gosh, all these aches and pains start to resolve in your hands and your back and your hips yeah. and knees. So, you know, it, it really is so beneficial. I was just so amazed when I read the research, like, wow, these benefits are really incredible. And I too, and the other point I just want to make too, uh, is that you don't have to wait until you're fully menopausal to start introducing hormones. I am like the perfect example of someone who gets her cycles fairly regularly, but just really needed hormones and feel a world of difference better on them. Yeah. And I think a lot of women do uh, definitely do that. I mean, and I see that yeah. still the regulations are still quite strict, mm -hmm. uh, a cutoff at 60 and no more. And after five years, they, they want women to have a lot of tests. Mm, okay. So that's there's, interesting. There's still that cutoff. I think the, the North American okay. guidelines that came out today, I think the new ones now. Oh. Um, then they came out. I was just picked that up from a journalist that is very active. Okay. And she said the new ones still say 60, still are very strict around 10 years after your period, there's a no-no. It's not in the guidelines. And that's the same that the new ones that came out here in Sweden, and they look like the British Menopause Society ones as well. So it's quite interesting, inter quite interesting that although certain clinicians are saying for life, the, the national bodies around the world are still saying, no, not for older women. We want to do the cutoff and we... Uh, don't want we can extend five years but we want a lot more rigorous testing mm -hmm. so there's mm -hmm. obviously clearly not all of them are convinced by the various uh clearly data. yes no. yes and I, and a lot more cushion i hear around the the alzheimer's very big debates about that mm -hmm. still mm -hmm. so so it is so it is interesting and i suppose that really turns to the the conversation then around diet and lifestyle as being such yes. incredible supporters for, yes, for women. If, if that's what, if that's what you're met with, you know, how do they play a key role? Yeah. Well, it's so, it's so funny. The timing of this is divine because I had a client yesterday, you know, she's, 
she's menopausal. She's uh, in her late 50s and has Hashimoto's and is just really, really achy. She One of the discs in her back has disintegrated. She hasn't been able to work out. She Sleep is challenging for her too. And she was using like CBD gummies to get to sleep. And I've been telling her, you know, you really need to get your protein up. You need to go grain free. You need to just, just like really focus on that. Cut back on alcohol, you know, really focus on that. And she texted me (laughs) and she was like, this is what I ate. And it was like a lot of protein and some veggies and a little starch. And she said, I and no grains. And she said, I fell asleep at 10 and I woke up at six and I didn't take any medication to sleep. What was that? And I said, that my friend <laughs> is called an anti-inflammatory blood sugar balancing diet. Yes. So like your blood sugar balance is critical when you're in menopause. And what most women and men too don't realize is that you actually need more protein as you age, not less. Um, and we need protein in order to build muscle, but also for cognitive function, um, mental focus, blood sugar balance, and really supporting the largest endocrine organ in the body, which is not our skin. It's actually our muscle and muscle secretes hormones. It manages insulin. The greater the amount of skeletal muscle you have as your age, the lower your mortality rate because you're not as prone to falls, bone breaks, hip um, hip fractures and bone breaks are the leading cause of death in elderly adults. So if you, and, and there's research studies to show you can even build muscle in your 90s which is so cool. Right. Right. And my, it's interesting too, you know, my mother, as we record this, she's 81 and she had, um, ankle replacement surgery and she goes up the steps better now than she has in years. Pardon me. She had knee replacement surgery. She has a lot of ankle problems. Sorry. She wears (laughs) a brace. She was supposed to have the ankle done. That didn't happen. But she goes up the stairs better now because she's continued. She takes an exercise class a couple times a week. She, you know, and and she's getting up there like a champ. So it's never too late, but you you do have to move. Um, so yes, you you've got to eat a lot of protein, you know, cut the sugar, the booze, um, yeah. watch your caffeine if that messes with your sleep. And people say, Oh, but I love a glass of wine. You wine does not love you. Wine is going to give you a big spike in cortisol. Your blood sugar will drop, your insulin levels will drop, and your cortisol is going to spike up, and your liver is going to try and detox, and you're going to be wide awake at three in the morning saying, that wasn't such a... It seemed like a good idea at the time, but not now. (laughs) So so I always keep like tinctures around the house, like lemon balm or things that I can just put in a glass of water as like my evening wind down mocktail or, you know, lavender, some ashwagandha, just real calming, supportive herbs that make me feel relaxed, but don't give me the hangover and the bad sleep. Yeah. It's amazing that upping the protein. And I think I did a measuring my macros and I was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, that's not enough protein. And I really, (laughs) you know, and I worked that I had to start to choose higher protein yogurts, eat more eggs, have pulses and quinoa at at lunch, which, you know, if you're just eating a sandwich, you just don't get that. That's right. That's right. 
And remind me what pulses are. I'm forgetting. Forgive me. Lentils and beans. <laughs> Thank you. Lentils and beans. It's been a while. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Whole food, real food. Shop in the outer aisles of the grocery store, the produce, you know, not the processed <laughs> packaged junk in the middle. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other really important piece for menopause and weight gain management is strength training. And, yeah. you know, the good news is the research does not show any more benefit from two times a week versus three times a week for menopausal women. So, hey, you get a free pass, ladies. So, but, you know, if you want to train three times a week, by all means, knock yourself out. But, um, you know, strength training twice a week, lots of walking. And when I say strength training, you can start, if you're new to it, you can start with light weights, but you must increase your weights and, and strengthen the muscle and challenge it. Otherwise, you're really not getting the benefits. Um, if, if weights really don't appeal to you, certainly Pilates can really strengthen you and isolate muscles and, and fatigue them. And that can be, I can get just as sore as a, in a Pilates class as I can lifting weights. Absolutely. So and that's fine too. Yeah, and, and definitely. And and certain types of yoga and and boxing. It's a sort of a resistance. Oh, boxing, if, yes. Boxing is great. I have a bag here yes. and I kick and hit the hell out of it <laughs> oh that's great but we need that yes you're right we got to build muscle and that doesn't mean we have to be lifting you know double our body weight does it no you and not at all but you know it really you do need to challenge the muscle and you need to fatigue it if you can do 12 reps uh, of a squat or a lunge or a curl, and you're not even remotely tired, then it's time to bump your weight up. So you do have to keep challenging that. Yeah, definitely. But but like back to the 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 weight side of things. I mean, you talked about pears and apples. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of women end up becoming an apple, and I've heard women say, "Oh, but it's fine. I've got skinny legs." That's not good, <laughs> is it, Esther? Yeah, well, that is, it does put you at higher risk for heart disease. So, um, and it really is a sign of insulin resistance and poor cortisol management. So here's the cool thing. Um, There was a a research study I saw, which looked at type two diabetics who, um, there were two control groups. One group took metformin and did not lift weights. And the other group lifted weights, but without any drugs or medications. So the weightlifting group surprisingly had better blood sugar control than just the drug group. And it's amazing how weight loss, uh, pardon me, weightlifting opens up those insulin receptors and really course corrects that insulin resistance. Also, if you can do intermittent fasting, you know, it just, even if it's a 12 hour window where you eat, finish dinner at seven, you don't have breakfast till seven the next day. And if you can walk or, um, you know, just do a little bit of interval training, um, on an empty stomach, if you can do that fasting, that will often correct that insulin resistance very quickly. Wow, really interesting. And that does help with this little menopot that we... The menopot, yes. 
And I do have my clients get prescriptions for continuous glucose monitors too, if we really can't crack the metabolic code. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a, a sensor that goes on in the back of the, it's about three inches above the elbow. You can wear it for two weeks at a time. And then you download an app on your phone and you, you literally like hold your phone up to the sensor and it reads, it gives you your blood sugar reading. Um, and so that will help you understand the metabolic effects of food. But I always say too, you know, another great hack is to have a higher ratio of protein than carbs. So okay. if you're tracking and you're getting 140 grams of protein per day, and that's in, I know the metrics are different. That's not by weight, it's no. by volume. So yeah. let's say you're getting... Uh, Let's say you eat, you know, four to six ounces of protein three times a day, right? You'll get, you'll hit around 120, 140. Yeah. Make sure your carbs are, you know, 100 or 120, that they're lower than your protein. Yes. And that's another way to course correct that menopause situation. Ah, so it's, it's not a keto diet, but it's pulling from that type of thinking. Yeah. That's right. And typically, you know, I don't find people have to do keto to get results, number one. Number two, mm -hmm. I treat a lot of women with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's, and a thyroid likes to be fed. It does not like to be starved, um, and especially of carbs, because a lot of women will do great on keto for two to three months. But what happens is that without the, you know, adequate carbs in your system, it's very hard for T4 to convert to the active thyroid hormone T3. Oh. And so carbs do upregulate your thyroid. Now, I'm not telling you to go and eat donuts and ice cream, but I would tell you to have, you know, sweet potatoes and pulses, uh, lentils and beans and uh, fruits and vegetables and complex carbs, quinoa versus like, you know, bread and pasta and yeah. those types of carbs. Or if you do have those carbs, make sure you pair them with a protein. You know, if someone really wants pasta, I'm like, measure out one cup of pasta yes. and the rest is meat sauce and lots of veggies. And that can be very satisfying for the soul too. Yeah. So it, it feels like it's not as prescriptive, Esther, as none of these things. It's more yeah. like the balance. It's always the balance for me. I mean, I, I also don't know anyone who has uh, you know, especially women who have sustained keto for longer than three to four months, they're usually, if they do, they're really genetically programmed to do that. <laughs> but for most of us women, you know, even though physiologically our bodies may not need the level of carbs, I find with modern day stress and anxiety, uh, the carbs really do help. Yeah, with yeah. Sleep they, and yeah. energy and all of that. And they're, you know, they're feeding the brain, poor brain, which is on full on. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's really so. There is hope for this meadow belly. It can it can go <laughs> with the right diet and the right exercise. Yes, and you also do want to recheck your hormones and make sure you're on the optimal dose too because if you're not, and, and women do need testosterone too, right? So if you're not on the right dose, you know, that can also impact your ability to lose weight or if your thyroid isn't optimized, that can do it too. But I find, you know, most people even in, in menopause can lose weight. It's just getting activity, right? No sitting on your butt uh, all the time, 
That's why I'm standing during this interview, just not sitting. You know, you get some movement in um, yeah. and uh, lifting some weights, watching your diet, getting some good sleep, you know, controlling yeah. your stress. Those pieces all together really help with weight loss. Yeah. And, and that's really important. I mean, I think women can lose weight, but I think they sometimes lose heart and end up just taking hormones and wondering why it's not working. That's right. And you can never out hormone your lifestyle. You just no pill, you know, it's, it's a piece of the pie. It's not the whole pie. No, I think that's an important factor to, to take up. One of the things yeah. you mentioned earlier was that your clinician wants to prescribe things like the pill and IUD mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to hormone therapy. Yeah. Why does a clinician want to do that? And why would you do that for menopause? Yeah, exactly. Well, it is interesting because I've posted about this on social and, you know, uh, I, I did a post where I said, you know, uh, an IUD is not hormonal. It, you know, it's not to be used for hormone for, for menopause treatment. And I, I got some pushback because some women were like, I still need birth control. And yes, you absolutely do. But here's the thing. The IUD and the pill are designed to suppress ovulation and suppress your body's ability to get pregnant because (laughs) your body's not supposed to have a baby at age 51, which is the average age of menopause. The shop should be closing down by then. Definitely. And I think if you had a baby, then you'd be in shock. (laughs) You'd be in shock. So would the baby. (laughs) Excuse me. So the problem is during menopause, you're... Estrogen can surge up to 30% on any given day. You can have variable fluctuations. But progesterone really declines a lot in perimenopause, and it declines a lot with stress. So when you have someone on the pillar IUD, they're only further suppressing that progesterone, which is so beneficial for sleep, for irritability, um, for just being happy. Progesterone's a real natural chill pill. So uh, I typically recommend if people are on birth control or on the IUD, we do check their hormone baseline to see where they are. And then slowly, you know, if they're willing to do either have their partner get a vasectomy, which is another great form of birth control. Oh, yes. uh, (laughs) Or or switch to a barrier method of birth control or, you know, then we can transition them off the pill and onto bioidentical hormones. And often they feel better because you're replenishing those really low levels of progesterone and or estrogen. Yeah. And I think that that's a really important point. I think we talk a lot about estrogen, but sometimes in the conversation, we forget how absolutely critical progesterone is. And it's when in our normal cycle, whether we're when we're not on the pill, we really feel these moods that that is often the progesterone fluctuation through the monthly cycle. Uh, And definitely its role with respect to mental health is huge, huge. Mm -hmm. And so and, and for those of you listening who are in perimenopause and are thinking, okay, well, how would I where would I start introducing hormones, you know, Progesterone, you can start very gently and you you can do it topically. I give it to people in drops, liquid drops. They rub into their skin. There are creams that you can do. You may not necessarily need it orally yet. 
although you can, um, but you do it the last two weeks of your cycle. Yes. It's really you rotate on and off, you cycle on and off. Yeah. And so it's a, and then you get, you know, a withdrawal bleed just like you do when you're on the pill. Yeah. Very normal. Yeah. And that, that's really important. So yes, probably finding another way around your birth control because yes, you can still get pregnant and a baby at 46, 48, 50, mm, bit of a shocker. That's going to be tough on your adrenals. That's going to be a very tough recovery. Yeah. It can be done. It is done, but it's, Again, I would recommend that. Yeah, close up yeah. shop at that point. I think Forgive I think we need to close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's time to say no. That that's probably. Though I have had friends who've had children in their forties and certainly mid forties through yes. IVF. Uh, yes. And and uh, they couldn't obviously because they're probably already perimenopausal, uh, so they didn't conceive very easily. But they did through IVF have the child that they hadn't had up till then, and that yes. that's a cho- that's a choice. But for most yes, women, and- it's time to shut up shop. That's right. But for those women in their late forties, and I always say late thirties, even like I was thirty six and a half when I had my son, but. My doctor was like, use topical progesterone. It helps prevent miscarriages and it supports you. It really supports you. So, you know, again, you can really optimize your hormones even in pregnancy. Although (laughs) your body usually takes over then. You don't have much to do there. No, no, that's usually a natural (laughs) process. Yes. And Esther, you have a new book coming out. Tell us about I do. that. I do. Hold on. I'm going to get you a, a, a quick screenshot of the, of the cover. Ooh, See you later, nice. ovulator. Nice. It's Mastering Menopause Through Nutrition, Hormones, and Self-Advocacy. Mm. Excuse me. <laughs> so, hang on. <coughs> Excuse me. So, I'm really excited about it. it this one flowed out of me and on the back it says gaslight free zone (laughs) because I really, you know, I was so tired of hearing the stories of women who were just dismissed and not listened to by their doctors. And they, you know, they say, I'm I'm having all these horrible symptoms. I know something's off. I think it's my hormones. And the doctors say, oh, that's just menopause. You're fine without any solutions or just say, well, here's the pill or IUD. And one my clients in particular, her doctor said, well, I'll give you a prescription for the pill, but I personally take Benadryl shots every night before bed to sleep. Oh. And I thought, you're a doctor. You, you can, you're like the fr- front line of defense. Go get yourself some hormones, lady. So, <laughs> so they come to me after going to their doctors and feeling frustrated. And then I partner them with, I'm so blessed to know and be able to source really great functional medicine doctors for them here in the States. And those doctors are more than willing to prescribe them hormones. And then keep, you do need to monitor your levels at least three times a year. Once you are on hormones, you need to get your blood work drawn or you can redo a Dutch. Um, But you, you need to make sure that your hormones are moving through properly and that you're on the right dose because a, a dose that's too low will also make it difficult for you to support bone density. So you really need yes. optimal, optimal doses. Indeed. Oh, that's great. And I love that. The self-advocacy and no gaslighting. I no think gaslighting. That, is, that is a very common conversation that way too many women have. 
uh, still, which is hopefully going to change when people like you are there with guidelines being talked about and people like podcasts like this where we're saying, come on, we need to talk about menopause. So, but we need to advocate for ourselves, don't we? We do. And I, this is a particularly interesting time for this book to come out, given, you know, the women's rights situation in the States right now with, I'm referring to Roe versus Wade. So no matter what side of the argument you're on, you know, we, we really do need more rights. We we need to have rights over our body and reproductive rights is very important. Yeah, absolutely, because what happens earlier flows through into the menopause age. It's not like they're disconnected. We're still in, we're still essentially menstruators until, you know, menopause itself, the proper one day after 12 months with no period. So all of these things are incredibly important and being able to take crawl and manage our bodies is not, is not optional. You know, this is, is important for women to speak up and get the right care and be heard. And be heard. And I feel like the more women, I I feel like there's going to be a tipping point. And it's interesting to me because there's all these celebrities that are now in perimenopause and menopause, and they're starting to really speak out. I did an Instagram live with Judy Greer on it. Um, I've been, I've been messaging with Gwyneth Paltrow over Instagram and you know, it's we're all Naomi Watts is starting her own yes. menopause um, cause. And, you know, it really it, I'm like, as long as we have a voice for us, great, whatever it takes, we need to talk yeah. to our friends and our sisters and our mothers and our aunts and nieces and daughters. But we also need to talk to our doctors and say, this is what I want, because the more people that say, I need you to give me this. Then the doctor may think, oh, you know what? Um, I'm really not serving my patients right now. Um, I really can step up my game. I mean, that's how I got into menopause. I didn't come out as a dietetics graduate knowing a darn thing about menopause, but I fiercely researched and did it because that's who was coming to me. Yeah, I was like, I better know what's going on here because I'm not serving people and I felt terrible. So... Well, you know, I really, you know, studied under doctors for years and still I'm always, always learning and still studying under doctors. I have many wonderful mentors, but, um, you know, I, and I think also it's very important to educate the men in our lives. And, you know, my son, he's 15 and he said, mom, you know, his friends all kind of, they're always curious in my Instagram feed. He said, my friends call you the vagina doctor. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I was like, well, that's lovely, but it's not accurate. But yes, I can absolutely ed- school you all on hormones. And even my husband is like, are you, you're in the second part of your cycle. Are you bumping up your estrogen and progesterone? Like he oh. kind of knows, he knows because he sees I'm so much better for it. And he doesn't have like an angry, irritable wife all the time. And yes, we all have our moments, sure. Guilty as charged. But, you know, he sees my sleep is better. My energy is better. I mean, I'm like a new person. So it is interesting to talk to our husbands and say, I kind of need some extra TLC right now. You know, intercourse is really painful for me. Can we talk about some other options or just come with me to get treatment so you understand more what I'm going through and really bringing partners in is essential in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is so important. And 
pressing for clinicians to be better trained because we know that's a big gap. So I think by speaking out and connecting and using celebrities who have far more reach and voice than we do, we are lifting the game on this. Amen. Esther, where can people find out about your work, how to connect and work with you, and when the book is coming out? Yes, the book comes out October 4th. Um, so you can order it at retailers. It's sold internationally, uh, certainly Amazon, but support your local bookstore, you know, that they're going to carry it as well. And people can find me on Instagram at gorgeous Esther, and you can go to my website, estherblum.com. I work with people one-on-one and I'm going to be working with people in group coaching as well. Um, so I can service more people and just really get everyone as, you know, my own little gaslight free humans. <laughs> <laughs> so we can all spread the word. <laughs> oh, that is perfect. We will have all of that in the show notes. Esther, thank you, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking so clearly and so passionately about hormone therapy, which is often a bit of a, a messy, confused space for women and giving us some real oh. pointers around diet and the importance of of exercise too. Thank you. Thank you, Clarissa. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that, because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.